morning. Welcome, everyone, to Living Hope. We're so glad you're here. And let's start this morning with a greeting that uh, Christians have been using for quite a little while. Quite a little while. The Lord be with you. And also with you. We're so glad to have you here this morning, either here in person or joining us online. And we are very excited to be hearing from the Hysaw family this morning. So we're going to jump right in to worship in song with the Hysaw family. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together today and praise your name. You do turn graves into gardens. And you are never far from us in our pain and in our suffering and in our joy. You are the Emmanuel and you walk with us daily. You never leave us where we are, but you call us into healing and into wholeness. And we thank you for that. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for their great abilities to sing, to praise, and to love. I ask, Lord, that you open the eyes of our hearts today to receive the message. I'm so thankful that you've called me here to be with this wonderful church so that we can serve the Lord together, so that we can pray together, and so that we can bear each other's burdens in love. I am so thankful for that. Lord, I just pray for everyone in this church who had a bad week who's in physical pain and emotional pain. People suffering from depression or anxiety, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come to them, fill them with your presence. Let them know that they are not alone and that you have somewhere for them to go, that their story is not over, but it is just beginning. May all of us together feel the hope that you give us, that every moment is filled with the possibility for the good. I thank you, Lord, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't think we're allowed to shake hands yet, but um, wave to your neighbor. That's it. Peace the Lord be with you. Also with you, thank you. And if you're a teenager and you want to go back with me, I'm the youth director. Hi, come on back. Well, good morning again. Good morning. We uh, we don't really have much in the way of announcements this morning. Um, before we get into that, though, I really just want to say a huge thank you to the high saws this morning. Man, those songs were awesome. They were just what I needed this morning. So um, thank you for sharing with us and for leading us in the music part of our worship. I, I appreciate it and I know we all do, don't we? So as far as any announcements, like I said, there's not really much, but if you have a message that you need to get to the office, you can either fill out a green card in the back and drop it in the box, or you can go to livinghope.info slash connect, leave a message there. I know I've done that before, and it has worked really well. Um, and giving, if you want to give to the work here at Living Hope, 
Um, once again, you can fill out an envelope and drop it in the box in the back, or you can go to livinghope.info slash give. That will go into our general fund for the working and operations and the ministries of this church. And then um, the Habitat for Humanity. I know on the back of your uh, handouts there is a, an update on what we've given so far. If you'd like to continue to give to that um, particular offering, you can go to livinghope.info slash habitat. And I know we have a, a goal to reach that is going to be matched. And I, I'm not exactly sure where we are. I didn't look. I'm going to be honest. I didn't look at the handout. That's my bad. But um, we do have that goal to reach for our matching funds. And, um, and we definitely want to be faithful in that. So if you haven't given yet, please feel free. You can also drop it in the back. Just make sure to earmark it as for Habitat. <sighs> Deep breath. <laughs> right? This morning, um, we're going to be continuing our series from the book that we've all been studying from, um, The Way, Truth, Life. If you don't have one yet, we're almost done, but it's worth going through on your own even when we, when we do finish up with this series. But um, we have some extras if you want it. We'll make sure you get one if, if you're interested. But in that book, the last few weeks, Pastor Rich has shared with us the different aspects of grace. He's talked to us about grace that seeks grace that saves, and then last week we talked about grace that sanctifies. I know it's kind of a big word. It's not scary, I promise. But um, So today, though, we're going to look at grace that sustains, sustaining grace, and what it means to sustain and grow our relationship with God. So let's start first by reading in Matthew 13, verses 4 through 9. It is in your um, handout on the, on the inside of that. So you can follow along if you like. But Jesus is teaching crowds of people at this point, And he's using parables, and this is one of them. It says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came along and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots... They died. Other seeds fell among the thorns and that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as what had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. In this parable, Jesus is describing the different people who hear the good news of Jesus and how they react to it. Some are like the hard path, and the good news just seems to kind of bounce off of them with no obvious effect, right? Others are like the stony ground. They hear the good news, and initially they come to faith in God, but there's no room for their roots to grow, so they quickly fizzle out. Next, he describes those who come to faith, but the troubles and cares of life choke that faith out, and it eventually withers away. But finally, he mentions those who not only have hearts that are ready to hear the good news and receive the seeds of it, but they continue to cultivate the soil or their relationship with Jesus until they have a chance to grow and become strong and established and mature, bringing a rich harvest, much like our plants will when we cultivate in our garden. How many of you are gardeners? And this all makes sense to you. 
One person, one person, oh, a couple of people. Okay, I was gonna say one person, great. This, this illustration really went well, didn't it? <laughs> um, but I mean, we have a basic understanding. You can't just throw seeds into the ground and leave them and hope they're gonna turn into a tomato plant. You have to pull weeds, you have to turn the soil and we have to cultivate that. Now, many of us have likely known someone who's come to faith and seemed to grow in grace and bloom quickly only to find them back where they started eventually before they ever knew Jesus. And there's ways that can prevent that happening as well as being someone who is, whose faith gets choked out by the other things in life that distract us from our relationship with Jesus. Um, before we dig into this, though, I, I just have a little caveat, just a little teeny one. Some of what we're going to look at this morning might sound or feel like um, checking off tasks off of a list or trying to earn salvation by what we do. Now, the last two times that I've had the privilege of standing here with you, um, we looked at how faith is not about following a list of do's and don'ts, right? But still, our faith needs to be put into action for it to be a living, breathing faith. Today, as we explore sustaining grace, we're going to look at what it means to cultivate our faith so that not only is it living, but it's actually growing and maturing. While some of it may seem like a to-do list of tasks to be accomplished, if we will frame these things in our minds as skills that need to be practiced, it will help us to consider them, I believe, more correctly than just a to-do list. Growing in faith can mean different things to different people. For some, they go from experience to experience to experience, thinking that each one is going to be better than the last and will mature them in the faith. They go from conference to conference. They go from, from um, gathering to gathering, even service to service, seeking this feel from God, this feeling, the tingles, the warm rush that comes over them. And when they don't feel him in one place, they go looking for that experience somewhere else until they find it. Now what can happen in this instance is that a time may come when that feeling just isn't there, and they may question if this God stuff is even real. Now some believe that modifying our behavior is an indicator of spiritual growth and maturity. Um, I can remember, <clears throat> I can remember a long time, it was a long time ago, I don't even want to do the math to figure out how long it was, but um, I was speaking to a young man who had grown up in the church that I was attending, and he had come to church that morning, and we had a gathering of some young adults at our house, and so of course I caught him in the kitchen to talk to him a little bit, and, and I'm like, Kenny, it's good to see you at church this morning. He's like, yeah, I figured it was about time I came back. Fantastic. I think that's great. What? And if you don't know me yet, I, I say things that most people won't say. They pop into my head. They come, even though I do have a filter, they still sometimes slip out before I have a chance to stop them. But I'm like, well, what, what took you so long? <laughs> he says, well, there's some things I need to quit doing before I can come back to church. I said, well, like what? He says, well, I need to quit drinking. Okay, and I need to quit smoking. 
okay, and I need to quit, and he listed a few other things. I said, Kenny, let me tell you something. I'm just, I'm just going to put this out here. Smoking, and, and I focused on that one in particular. I said, smoking isn't going to keep you out of heaven. Sin will keep you out of heaven. You get right with God and let God worry about the smoking. The two of you can figure it out later. You just get right with God. And he'd never heard that before. So anyway, so this modifying your behaviors might be a good thing, but by themselves, they can't maintain our relationship with God for very long because we can't follow the rules perfectly all the time. You know, we talked about that when we talked about the law. We break one law, we break it, we've broken them all, haven't we? So we can't follow all the rules. We can't modify our behavior long enough and consistently enough for it to sustain growth and maturity. Now, some folks may think that learning more about God is enough to grow in, in their faith and become mature. And they'll, they'll go to Bible classes and Bible study. They'll take online courses. They might even go to seminary so they can learn more about Jesus. But head knowledge without heart change is inadequate for becoming mature and for sustaining your faith. And then there are some who think that being super spiritual is the way to grow and mature in their faith. And they'll do things like reading, your, reading their Bibles Praying, volunteering for ministries, and those are all great things. Don't stop volunteering for ministries here at Living Hope, okay? That's <laughs> not what I'm saying here. Don't stop now. But, and don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop praying, okay? But the danger we run into in thinking that these are the things we have to do in order to grow and mature is that when we lose the passion for it or we miss a day, we feel like we failed and we're ridden with guilt and shame because, oh, I didn't have my devotions today. God's disappointed in me. I don't know if that's the voice, what it says in your head when you miss a day, but that's, that's what the voice in my head, it's my own voice, but it still will say, oh, you're such a disappointment. And eventually, by doing all these things with all the fervor that, they, that we can muster, that People who are super spiritual will tend to burn out over time. Now, none of the things that I've said, none of the things I've mentioned are bad things. You know, having experiences where we feel God in a real way or um, modifying our behavior, letting God change our behaviors is not a bad thing. And um, learning about Jesus, learning about the Bible and about theology are great things and then um, being spiritual, doing those things that help us to connect with God, all of those things are good things. But individually, standing alone, they create an incomplete picture of what it means to cultivate sustaining grace, to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we put them all together into one cohesive set of what we call disciplines, is what, this is what develops a new or an immature believer into a maturing one. We will always be maturing. Don't, don't think that, that you're going to hit a point where you're done maturing. 
I've been a Christian for a really long time, <laughs> a really long time since I can remember. And yet I still have places where I'm so lacking and the Holy Spirit still talks to me and says, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Judy, we need to talk. But there's these, these disciplines that we can, um, we can use to develop and, and become maturing in our faith. So what do those disciplines look like? Um, Dr. Busick, the author of our book, looks to John Wesley for some of the answers to that question. Now, John Wesley, for those of you who may not know, was an evangelist and a theologian, get this, in the mid-1700s, just a few years ago. Um, in fact, much of our doctrine in the Church of the Nazarene is based largely on the, the teachings of John Wesley. Wesley encouraged followers of Jesus to participate in disciplines that he believed nurtured their faith in their lives. It's a little out of order, but in your handout, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, in our modern, postmodern, Western culture, we have a very different um, idea of what discipline means, the connotation of discipline. We think of it as punishment, don't we? But it was understood at the time that Hebrews was written that discipline was used to protect and make stronger. A disciple, where we heard that word before, right? The 12 disciples that Jesus chose. A disciple was disciplined into, in learning what the master knew. So while it can be painful, discipline is not meant to be punishment, but rather a tool used for teaching and learning. Now, Dr. Busick includes a quote by a gentleman named E. Stanley Jones. He says, you cannot attain salvation by disciplines. It is a gift of God. But you cannot retain it without disciplines. Now, what we might call disciplines, spiritual disciplines, Wesley would have called works of piety. Individual works of piety as well as communal works of piety. The individual ones include studying scripture, prayer, fasting, sharing our faith with others, or we might call it evangelism, um, it's another word for it, and generously sharing our resources. Communal works of piety are practices such as shared worship or going to church, participating in the sacraments of communion and baptism, and accountability to each other, Bible study, and preaching. These were all shared in a community of faith. And in Wesley's thinking, it was crucial for each believer to practice each of these as often as possible. And at least some of his thinking in this is based on Colossians 3, 12 to 16. So let's read it real quick. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, 
Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. What we see in this passage are purposeful acts that when exercised become a normal part of who we are and what we do as followers of Jesus. Now, I've already mentioned that these aren't meant to be a to-do list of things that we have to accomplish so we can check them off. I love lists. Does anybody else? Am I the only one? I love a to-do list. Sometimes, <laughs> okay, I'm telling on myself here a little bit. Sometimes I'll add something I've already done to a to-do list just so I can check it off. It makes me feel good to see that check mark. I'm not the only one. Oh, good. <laughs> it makes me feel good to see that, check, that, that one thing checked off. But the <laughs> that's not what these are. These are not a to-do list of things that we need to get done. But they're ways of nurturing growth that need to be practiced to be effective. It's kind of like Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay, you're, maybe you're asking how on earth I'm going to work Michael Jordan into this. But just hang in here with me for a minute. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time. Now, I've heard something about a Kobe Bryant being pretty good and a couple other guys, but I'm sorry. Michael Jordan, he is the GOAT, right? <laughs> anyway, he played the game so effortlessly, the game of basketball, for those of you who might not know who Michael Jordan is, like the people under, you know, 20, maybe, maybe. Anyway, but he made it look effortless. And it looked like he could float his way to the basket when he dunked. You know, all of the pictures and the stuff, the video we see of him dunking, it, it was like he just floated to the basket when he dunked. He rarely missed a shot, and it seemed almost like he could hit the basket with his eyes closed, didn't it? The thing about Jordan, though, that many people may not realize is that he practiced a lot. And he didn't practice the fancy stuff. He practiced the basics. He shot free throws by the thousands and thousands and thousands. He did layups by the hundreds and hundreds. He worked the, his dribbling drills until the ball felt like a natural extension of his hands. This is how these disciplines will begin to feel when we practice them regularly and purposefully. It just becomes an extension of who we are. Um, one of the things that's included both as individual and communal acts of piety um, is what Wesley would consider to be accountable relationships. Now, accountable relationships Wesley felt were crucial to growth and maturity in, in, in our faith and, and even personally. For him, it was more than just having an accountability partner or what we might call a prayer partner. It was more about being accountable to a community of believers that you found yourself a part of. Um, and he had different layers, different levels. Um, some would be what we would consider a Sunday school class. Some of that would be what we might consider um, a, a midweek Bible study. Um, 
Some were just plain up, straight up accountability groups where people would sit together and, and look at each other and say, how'd you do this week spiritually? Did you fail anywhere spiritually? How did the Lord help you? I mean, very pointed, very purposeful questions, and you really couldn't hide <laughs> what was going on in your life in those, in those groups, those accountability groups. Many people um, use, utilize their church in this way, but this whole thing was more than just coming to church on a Sunday. It really went much deeper. And this idea of these accountable relationships wasn't new to John Wesley in the 1750s. <laughs> Imagine a new idea in 1750, right? If we look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, we'll see that these relationships were part of the faith community from the very, very beginning. In verses 42 to 47, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now what we see in these verses is what our faith communities, our churches, our, our associations, what they need to look like in, if they're going to foster maturity and um, sustain our lives of faith. And there's some things, and like, like Pastor Rich said a couple weeks ago, if you see a list of things in my sermon, I also borrowed it. So I borrowed this list from Dr. Busick in our book. But what we see in this, in this passage of, in Acts chapter 2, there's some very um, specific things that Dr. Busick points out. And first, we see that they were together. They spent time together. They spent time eating and talking and sharing. They studied the word together, and, and they shared the teaching of the apostles. We see that they experienced God together. They included the Lord's Supper or communion every time they gathered, which was almost daily. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They experienced miraculous signs and wonders together. They were vulnerable together. Those who were in need didn't hide it, and those who had more shared what they had with those who needed it. They learned together. They shared what Jesus and the apostles had taught them and what they learned from the scriptures. They witnessed together. In other words, they weren't hiding the changes that God had made in them. They weren't hiding the fact that they got together and worshipped. They didn't exclude anyone from gathering with them. They weren't incognito. <laughs> I, I remember an old joke where um, 
okay, now I'm not going to remember it. It's not going to be funny because it's not funny if you have to explain it, is it? <laughs> it popped in my head and it went away just as fast. Um, something about being a, a secret agent Christian, I don't know. Anyway, but these, these believers were not incognito. They were not trying to blend into the background or blend into the culture at that time. They stood out. And their lives stood out so much that it impacted everyone that could see it. So much so that when they shared what had happened, when they shared how Jesus had changed their lives, and when they shared this good news of what God could do for them through Jesus, people believed and became followers of Jesus every single day. Now, it's easy to correlate the practices of the early church with the practices that John Wesley talks about in his communal and individual works of piety. He believed they were so important that, um, and he worked so hard to implement them in the places that he went and preached and evangelized that that is what he's known for. It became, it became a, move, a Methodist Methodist movement, which eventually became what we know as the Methodist Church. I know, a little history, sorry. I'm kind of a nerd that way. But anyway, um, one of the communal acts of piety, though, that John Wesley and other um, leaders in the church down throughout time, the aspect of sustaining grace and faithful practices that we are going to look at this morning and even though it's a communal act of piety that, or a communal act that we, just, that we just talked about, I want to examine these on, on their own. And that is the celebration of the sacraments. Different churches recognize different sacraments, different numbers of sacraments. Some are more or less. Um, you may know of, you have an awareness of several if you have a different faith background than um, a Protestant or evangelical church. But there are two sacraments that are universally accepted, as, and those are the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist, or communion. In the Church of the Nazarene, these are the two we recognize and participate in on as regular a basis as possible. But what is so significant about these sacraments? The Anglican Church Catechism explains um, sacraments kind of like this. Sacraments are an outward sign of an inward grace and a means whereby we receive the same. The theologian N.T. Wright describes sacraments as those occasions when the life of heaven intersects mysteriously with the life of earth. Now, baptism as a sacrament is much more than just a testimony of a changed heart. You know, m many of us have been baptized after we received Christ, Right? And it is an outward um, a sign of an inward grace, absolutely. But there's more to it. The, the symbolism of going under the water and coming back up out of it signifies our dying to sin and rising again to life with Christ. Now, it's not in your folder and not on the screen, I apologize, but Romans 6.4 says... Um, it explains it. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Baptism 
marks the moment we rise to new life in Christ. And according to Wesley, is the initiation of the life of holiness. And while baptism is that initiation into the life of holiness, the sacrament of communion is to be repeated for the ongoing pursuit of holiness. Now this makes for a great segue into the final minutes of our time this morning. John Wesley identified participation in communion as the first step in the working out of our salvation. He believed the bread and wine, or in our case, juice, (laughs) were more than just symbolic of Christ's death, but that the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit is actually experienced when receiving communion. Now, this is different than the belief of transubstantiation. I know that's a great, that's like a $5 word, isn't it? That's a great big word. But it, that is the belief that the, the bread and the juice or the wine turns into the body and blood of Christ. And that's not necessarily, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the elements of the, of the Eucharist, in the elements of communion. And because the presence of the Holy Spirit is there, we experience the Holy Spirit in participating in communion. Because of this belief, Wesley came to two conclusions that we read in our book by Dr. Busick. The first is that because present grace is extended for empowered Christian living, communion should be received as often as possible. This is one reason why at Living Hope we take communion every week. Second, because the, Holy, the presence of the Holy Spirit in communion is the equivalent of God's readily available, saving, sanctifying, and sustaining grace, it could be considered a converting ordinance. In other words, during the receiving of communion, a person who has a repentant heart can be saved. Now, we've looked at three areas this morning. Three things that are needed to experience the sustaining grace of God and to mature in faith. The disciplines, accountable relationships, and now the sacraments. And that brings us to the part of the service where we're going to transition into the time when we receive the elements of the sacrament of communion. In doing so, I ask that you would engage with me. If engaging means you close your eyes so you can listen without distraction, or whatever you need to do, engage with me as I recite the biblical passages associated with the act of receiving the elements, as well as a prayer adapted for communion this morning. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, He gave it to them and said, each of you drink for it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Lord, as we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. We can't begin to fathom the agonizing suffering of your crucifixion, yet you took that pain for us. You died for us. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you for your extravagant love, your unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. As you instructed your disciples, we too receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross. We realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all our sin, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and penalty of sin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your victory over death. You took the death that we deserved. You took our punishment. Your pain was indeed our gain. And today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood that you spilled. Each time we take communion, Lord, we want to commit our lives, our hearts, our thoughts, our everything to you. In your precious name, amen. Now, join me in praying this prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the high saws come forward to play one last song this morning, I invite you to participate in receiving communion. If you are saying yes to Jesus today, if you are, are, are participating in the disciplines, in the works of piety for growth and maturing and sustaining of your faith, I invite you to come and receive communion, either by coming forward to receive the elements, and we do have bread and gluten-free wafers, or you may stay at your seat and use the elements at the table, whichever you're more comfortable with. So um, please join me as the high saws share with us one last time. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and you are dismissed. <laughs>